Well, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, if I've never met you before, my name is Caleb Nichols. And uh, what I do at Grace Church is I oversee this program we, all, we have called the Grace College Program. So we have a bunch of students that uh, want to go in full-time ministry when they graduate. So we've actually set up a partnership between Grace Church and Grace College. It's a school out in Winona Lake, Indiana, uh, where students can actually get their fully accredited undergrad degree in biblical studies. So that's what I get to do here on a, on a daily basis. I'm excited to be sharing with you guys this weekend. Um, and I grew up in the Barberton area. I grew up right here in Barberton, so I'm just super excited about all the things that God is doing through the Barberton campus and just super excited about all the ways that God is using you guys, using us to affect the Barberton community and the surrounding community and just all the ways that God is going to keep doing that over the years. I'm just super, super pumped for all the things that God is going to do. And uh, this morning we are starting a series it's a four-week series in the book of Philemon. Now, if you've, if you've read the Bible a little bit, you've probably seen the book of Philemon. It's a really small, kind of obscure letter in the, towards the end of the New Testament. It only fits on about one page in your Bible. And if you're anything like me, I tend to just kind of gloss over it because you can read it in just a few minutes. It's really small, but it's really packed with all kinds of really good stuff. So we're going to try and slow down a little bit, and we're going to take four weeks to kind of dissect this book and, and draw some principles out of it. So in the book of Philemon, it's really, it's really fascinating because Philemon is actually written by a guy who's currently in house, on, on house arrest, kind of like in prison in Rome under house arrest. It's written from a guy under house arrest to a slave owner about this, this runaway slave. So there's three main characters in the letter of Philemon, the first one is the Apostle Paul. And I'll just tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul if you're not familiar with him. The Apostle Paul was this Jewish leader. He was, he was kind of the man, honestly. And he made it his like, passion and goal in life to persecute the early church and try and end Christianity as we know it. That's what he was trying to do with his life. So he like, set the goal. He actually went to the officials and said, hey guys, would you give me permission to go and try and end this thing called Christianity. And he would go find Christians and put them in jail. And he actually oversaw the execution of one, of one Christian. So that was Paul. He had this, like, this Jewish leader on this path of trying to end Christianity. Then one day as he was out doing that, Jesus appeared to him. And he said, his name used to be Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And through that experience with Jesus, Paul's life completely changed and he became a follower of Jesus. And then he dedicated the rest of his life to growing the church and like leading the early church. So it's really fascinating because in Paul's early life, he was persecuting the church and he was getting Christians and throwing them in jail. And now we're at a point in Paul's life where he's out sharing the gospel and won't stop doing that. And because of that very thing he was trying to end, he's now under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing to the second character, this guy <clears throat> named Philemon, who was a leader in the early church in Colossae. So we're gonna put it up on a map so I can show you guys. So it's Paul under house arrest in Rome writing to Philemon over here in Colossae. So here's Paul in Rome under house arrest. He probably was chained to a Roman guard or at least chained somehow under house arrest. It wasn't like, wasn't like house arrest now where you have an ankle bracelet and you kind of move around. He was actually chained probably. And he's writing all the way over to Colossae, the church in Colossae, and this guy named Philemon. Okay, he was a leader there. And it, it may not look that far apart on this map, but it's actually about 1,200 miles from Rome to Colossae. And they didn't have planes back then. So it's a, it's a long ways. And just to give you a little bit of like perspective, uh, 1,200 miles is about the distance from Barberton, Ohio to Miami, Florida. 
So it's a long ways away. My family, we, li- we like to, uh, I have a, a wife and four kids. It's a really crazy, awesome family. We, we love to go on vacation every year to Florida, but we get in our minivan and we drive to Florida and we have like heat for when we're in Ohio and we have air conditioning for when we're in Florida. And I kind of complain about that, but you think about this distance they were traveling and there also wasn't like a mailman. So you couldn't like give the letter to a mailman and they would get it over to Colossae. So it's Paul under house arrest in Rome writing to Philemon, a leader in the church of Colossae, and Philemon owned this slave named Onesimus. And that's really what the book is about. It's about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And what happened is Onesimus, he's kind of the third character in the story, he ran away from his slavery in Colossae and made it 1,200 miles somehow all the way to Rome. So he ends up in Rome, and he probably did it. He probably ran to Rome because it was such a busy area that he could get there and kind of blend in. A lot of, a lot of people think there was over a million people living in Rome at that time. So it'd be a good place to, to like go hide, right, if you don't want to get caught. So he ends up in Rome, and through this series of circumstances, we don't really know how it happened, he ends up running into the Apostle Paul of all people. So he runs into the Apostle Paul, meets Paul. Paul ends up telling him about Jesus and leading him like in helping him become, like start a relationship with Jesus, helping him become a follower of Jesus, okay? And then I'm sure, I'm sure Onesimus must have shared his story with Paul and then Paul made the connection that he actually ran away from Philemon back here in Colossae. So that's kind of what's going on in the story and basically what happens in this letter to Philemon is, is Paul writes to Philemon, he's like, look Philemon, I think about you all the time, I'm praying for you all the time, I'm very excited about all the ways that God is working through you and how you're loving the church that God has kind of entrusted, entrusted you. But there's this one thing we gotta talk about. There's this one thing we gotta talk about. Onesimus came and showed up in Rome. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send him back to you. Think how awkward that would be. It'd be very awkward, right? Paul's putting these guys in an awkward situation. He's like, I'm gonna send Onesimus back to you and I want you guys to reconcile your relationship. And no longer as a slave and a master, but now because he's a follower of Jesus, you're both followers of Jesus, that trumps everything. It's no longer, you're not treating him as a slave, I want you to treat him as you would treat me, as a dear brother in Christ. And I want you to go from there and do ministry together. So that's kind of what, what's going on in the letter to Philemon. So we're gonna read that, we're gonna go through and read the letter to Philemon. It's just 25 short verses. So Paul writes this. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And we'll just, we'll just stop there for a second. Typically, if you look at a lot of the letters of Paul, he's actually, he addresses it differently. He says, Paul, an apostle. So he's writing the letters typically from a place of like apostolic authority because he's a church leader. He's saying, hey, I'm an apostle and I'm writing this to you and you need to listen to me because of my place of authority and I know what I'm talking about, okay? But it's a little different here. He's saying, he's emphasizing he's a prisoner. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. And Timothy was another young pastor that Paul was mentoring at the time. So he was with him, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. He's the slave owner and a leader in early church. Our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So he's writing to Philemon and the rest of the church there. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So he's thankful for this man and he's continually thanking God for all of the good things he's doing in the church in Colossae. And then it says this. This is what he's actually praying about Philemon. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective and deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So he's like, I want you to keep deepening your relationship with Christ and deepening your relationship with the other Christians so you might have a full picture of the amazing things we have in Christ Jesus. Then he says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So he's saying, look, because of all the, the wonderful things God is using you for, I'm very refreshed by that, and I'm very encouraged by that, right? But then he, then he kind of shifts, maybe like the tone of the letter a little bit, and it shifts a little bit, and it says this. He says, therefore, whenever you see therefore, it's referring back usually to the things above it. So he's saying, because I care about you so deeply, because of the amazing ways God is using you, because of the ways you're growing in your faith, we gotta talk about this other thing. He's like, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. He's like, look, I'm Paul the apostle. I'm like one of the major leaders in the church. And because of that, I could be bold and tell you to do what you should already be doing. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna approach it that way. I'm gonna come to you humbly. And he says this, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. He's like, I wanna use our relationship and make an appeal to you and ask you to do this favor for me, on the basis of love, it is none other than Paul, an old man now and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my sons while I was in chains. So again, somehow Onesimus met up with Paul, ran into Paul, with all these millions of people there, he meets Paul somehow. Paul leads him to Christ, and then what Paul's saying, he's not, he's not Onesimus isn't his physical son, he became his spiritual son when he led him to Christ. And then he says this, this is fascinating. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. So he's saying, look, when he was your slave and he did work for you and he made money for you, he was actually useless. It wasn't really that helpful to you, but now that he's a brother in Christ, he's useful to you. And this is so much better than it was before. I am sending him, that's Onesimus, who is my very heart. So Paul loves this man, he has a deep relationship with him. Back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. He said, I'd love to keep him here because he's useful in ministry, but instead I'm sending him back to you. Then he says this, Paul writes this, but I do not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. This is interesting. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever. And I love this part. No longer as a slave. Have him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother, a brother in Christ now. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So treat him in the same way you would treat me if I showed up on your doorstep. 
If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So if he stole any money from you or cost you money in any way, like he's like, that's all done, that's all paid for. I will take care of it. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. And Paul probably said that to Philemon because he probably led Philemon to Christ as well. So he's like, look, you owe me, man. You're gonna be in heaven because of the gospel I shared with you. And then he says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this was a brief, little quick run through of the letter to Philemon. But once again, what's happening is Paul, who used to persecute Christians and put them in jail, is now under house arrest for telling people about Jesus. And he's writing to a leader in Colossae, the church in Colossae. There's a church in Medina's home and he's saying, look, we gotta, I love you and I'm praying for you. I'm excited about what God's doing, but we gotta talk about the relationship you have with Onesimus. And then Onesimus shows up in Rome, Paul leads him to Christ. And now Paul is saying, okay, look, you're both brothers in Christ now and that trumps all this other stuff and I'm gonna send you back and you guys need to reconcile your relationship to each other. And he's telling Philemon, accept him in the same way you would accept me. He's now your brother in Christ and I want you guys to do ministry together. So that's kind of a brief overview of the letter to Philemon. We're gonna look at that for the next four weeks. And this morning, I want us to zoom in. I want us to spend most of our time just kind of focusing on Paul and focusing on his situation. So again, at the beginning of the letter, he said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus instead of an apostle, right? So he's coming from a humble perspective. He's in house arrest in Rome. He may have been chained to a Roman guard or may have just been chained up there. And it's, it's interesting when we look at the apostle Paul's life and we read some of the things he says, we see in a couple different places that Paul talks about going to Rome. So Paul had this big desire to visit Rome. He wanted to get there. And there's some places it talks about in the Bible. We'll look at one in a second. But he wanted to get to Rome. And I think knowing, you know, I, don't, I didn't know Paul personally, but reading some of the things he said, he was a very smart guy. He was very, very cerebral as a thinker. He probably one of those guys that like set a lot of goals, you know. And I just have to think that the apostle Paul, one of the big reasons he wanted to go to Rome is because he understood that Rome was the center of the world at that point. Like Rome actually was ruling most of the known world at that time. And Paul knew that. Paul knew, and I think he planned for himself to go to Rome with his team. And he's, he's probably thinking, okay, I'm gonna go to Rome. I'm gonna meet like a lot of the important people in Rome. I'm gonna influence them. And I'm gonna tell them the story of Jesus. I'm gonna tell them the gospel. I'm gonna, they're gonna become followers of Jesus. And then through that, and because of that, then the gospel is gonna work its way down through the Roman Empire and then out to the rest of the world. Now it has, it has to be what Paul's thinking, you know, just being a, being a smart guy. In Romans chapter one, We'll look it up here. This is Paul talking about visiting Rome. So Paul's writing to the Roman people and he says this. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now. So Paul wanted to go to Rome and he had planned on going there many times, but it hadn't happened yet for whatever reason. 
He says, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to, the, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel, that's the story of Jesus, the gospel, also to you who are in Rome. So again, Paul, being a smart guy, he probably mapped this all out at some point, I bet you. He probably sat down and said, okay, how are we gonna get the story of Jesus to the entire world? He's looking around, he's like, it's gotta be Rome. It's gotta be Rome, it's the center of everything. I'll get there, I'll lead these important people to Christ. The message will work its way down to the kingdom and out to the rest of the world. And we see here, we see Paul, he gets to Rome. But man, I don't, I don't think it's in the way he wanted. He ends up in Rome, but he's a prisoner under house arrest. So he gets there, but it can't be the way he was thinking. I just, just like put myself in Paul's situation for a second. He had to be frustrated. He had to be sitting there, you know, chained up on house arrest, being like, God, come on, man. I thought, I thought the plan was to go to Rome. And I'm gonna tell all these people about you and all these people are gonna come Christians. And I'm here, this is confusing. I'm here in Rome, but I don't have freedom. I'm under house arrest and I can't, I can't do what you called me to do. But what's amazing is, as we look at the life of Paul and all the things he went through, it's amazing to me just how content he was. Like no matter the circumstances, no matter what was going on, he was able to be content. I'm sure he was frustrated, right? He's a human being. I'm sure he got frustrated, but somehow, some way, he was able to be content like despite the circumstances that he was in. He doesn't, we don't see him trying to get out of the situation he's in. We just see him being content and then figuring out how he can be used by God in that situation. Paul wrote something else interesting in Philippians chapter four, and I'll read that for us. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he's talking about contentment. He says this, he writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. So Paul's probably been poor before. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. So he's probably also been like well-to-do. He's been in need, he's had plenty. I have learned the secret. He actually calls it a secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So he calls it a secret. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he says this. This is like the secret he's talking about. He says this. The secret is, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So the secret of contentment that Paul gives us is, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I think what Paul's talking about is this. I think he, he realized, you know, from the life he lived and the situations he was in, he realized that no matter the circumstances, <clears throat> whether he was well-fed or hungry, whether he was rich or poor, whether he was influential or non-influential, he realized that God could still work through him if he was content, right? He wasn't focused on the, thing, the, the outside circumstances in his life. He was focused on being used by God. And guys, I, I know for me, for sure for me, I know, I know a big barrier in my life to be, being used by God is like a lack of contentment. I know, I know it is for sure because what happens is when I, when I lack contentment in my situation and in my job and where I live and my family, whatever that might be, when I lack contentment, what happens is, is most of my focus and most of my energy goes to like worrying about the situation I'm in or trying to change it, 
You know what I mean? And when I do that, I'm not able to focus on what God has called me to do in the situation. It's amazing. We see Paul, he's just content. And actually through his contentment out there on house arrest in Rome, God is able to actually use him in a bunch of amazing ways. And the gospel ends up getting out through the Roman Empire into the rest of the world, even though Paul's in this situation of being in house arrest. So his like prison became a center for gospel proclamation, which is pretty, pretty amazing, you know? So I, I feel like this. I feel like God can use you no matter the situation you're in. God can use you no matter the situation you're in. I don't, I don't think it's like we think it is a lot of times. I know for me, a lot of times I feel like, man, if I, God, if, if my circumstances were different, you know, God, if I had if I had this job instead of this job, if I lived in this neighborhood instead of this neighborhood, if, if something was different in my life, like then you could use me. But the reality is God can use us no matter the situation. And it's not the outside things that really matter. It doesn't really matter if you're rich or if you're poor. You know, if you're, if you're like an important person and you're a big deal at your job and if, and if you don't show up, the whole company shuts down. Or if you're just like a normal person going to work every day doing your job. That's not what's important. It doesn't really matter, you know, if, if you're a mom or a dad or if you're a child, if you're an adult, if you're married, if you're single, if you're divorced, what you've done in your past. That's not what matters for being used by God. It's not the circumstances. And I, I want us to show you guys this picture. I'll pop it up on the screen. Do you guys know who that is? Tim Tebow, right? Raise your hand if you know who Tim Tebow is. So is anybody jealous of that jawline like I am? He's a, he's a good-looking dude, Tim Tebow. And um, I, I want to call this the Tim Tebow syndrome. I think this is something we tend to struggle with, and I know I struggle with this for sure. I look at somebody like Tim Tebow, and God's using like Tim Tebow in a lot of good ways. He's a, he's a Christian who was a football player, and I think he's like pursuing baseball now. And he goes around and speaks all over the place and does all these really cool things. But the problem is when I compare myself to Tim Tebow, and I'm like, man, if I was just as good-looking as that guy, then, then God could use me. You know, if I, man, if I, could, if I could speak like that guy, if I could speak like Tim Tebow, then God could use me. If I could play sports like Tim Tebow, then God could use me. And we end up doing all of these comparisons and we think, man, if I was just this or if I was in this different situation, then God could use me. But that's not, that's not the case at all. You know, we even look at the Apostle Paul again and think about it, God actually humbled Paul's circumstances. I think I find it fascinating. So the apostle Paul was this stud Jewish leader who took it upon himself. He was like a go-getter. He's like, I'm gonna end the church. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. That's me, right? And then he meets Jesus. He's majorly humbled through that. And then eventually down the road from preaching the gospel, he ends up in house arrest in Rome and God completely humbled his circumstances. But what's amazing is God used him in those circumstances to reach all kinds of people. He actually even led a lot of the early church from house arrest. You know, and then what's crazy too is, you know, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He had to be thinking, he's just a normal person, he had to be thinking, okay, I'm gonna get to Rome, reach the important people, then the, the gospel's gonna work its way down to the kingdom. But we actually see what happens is Paul starts reaching kind of the lower people, the Roman guard and some of them, in Rome, and the gospel works its way up like this through the kingdom of Rome, and then out through the rest of the world. So it's completely opposite of how we think a lot of times. God has this really unique and interesting way 
of using the things that the world kind of discards, the things that we don't think are important to like accomplish his will. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians um, <clears throat> 1, verses 20, 26 through 29. We'll put it up. This is Paul writing again. And we'll just, we'll just slow down and look at this. He says this. Brothers and sisters. So Paul's saying, hey, look, other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, think of what you were when you were called. So he's like, okay, take a second and think about what you were, what circumstances you were in, who you were when God called you. You became a follower of Jesus. Think of what you were when you were called. And he says this, not many of you were wise by human standards. So people are like, hey, they're not, they're not that smart. They're just kind of normal people. Not many of you were influential. So you didn't have millions of friends, friends on Facebook and hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, right? Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth, which was a big deal back then, being a noble birth. So not many of you were born in the right neighborhood, in the right town. But God chose, it was God's decision to do this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So God just has this really interesting way of using what we tend to think is normal. You know, just using like normal everyday people to reach the world around them. You know, there's a couple examples of this. So you think of Jesus' first 12 disciples. So God comes down to heaven. His name is Jesus, right? And he's like, okay, I'm gonna get this, my story out to the rest of the world. How am I gonna do this, right? It seems like he would go all around the world and pick like the brightest people, all the PhDs, all the people that have the education and they're wealthy and they're, you know, big, running big companies, right? And he could have done that, but what he decided to do was he went to this little, small, kind of obscure area of the world and he chose 12 kind of normal people from there. And we don't, we don't know all their jobs, but we know some of them. So for example, a bunch of the early disciples were fishermen, which is just like a normal, everyday kind of labor in that society. They were just fishermen. They were normal guys who were out in the sun all day. Their hands were probably all beat up from like working the nets and they were getting burned all the time. They're just normal dudes, right? And then another guy he chose was, was a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors, then they were despised. They were despised by the people. And they had money, but nobody really liked them. You know, they, they were the despised people. And then also there's, we know of one of his disciples was a zealot. He was a zealot. If you don't know what a zealot is, a zealot, like modern day, it's kind of like the conspiracy theorist guy. You know, it's like, it's like the person who like doesn't like the government wants to overthrow the government. Jesus had one of those guys on his team. He's just like taking normal, everyday, average people and he uses them to reach the world with the gospel. And then, and then even think of Jesus. So again, Jesus comes down from heaven and he wants to tell the world his story, right? And he could have just stood up on a stage somewhere and let the whole world see and he could have just said, look, I'm God, follow me, end of story, right? He didn't do it that way. Instead, he like chose to come in humble circumstances in this little obscure area of the world that most people didn't know about. It wouldn't even be on the map without Jesus. He was born there of a virgin, right? And then through that, he ends up reaching the world. You see, guys, being used by God has little to do with outward things, 
but much to do with the position of our hearts. Being used by God has little to do with outward things, how I look, the job I have, the position I hold, the amount of authority I have, the amount of influence I have, where I live, right? It has very, very little to do with that, even though we think it does a lot of times, but much to do with the position of our hearts before God. You see, when our hearts are in sync with God's hearts, then he'll use us. When our heart gets in sync with God's heart, then we're able to be used by God. It has very little to do with all of the outward things in our life. You know, and God may use us in ways we don't expect sometimes that happens, or he may use us in ways that we want him to use us, but it may have a different path to get us there, just like the Apostle Paul. He wanted to reach Rome, but God had a different plan for how to do that. God has this amazing way of using like the lowly things in our world. And when I, when I think of this idea of just God using like everyday normal people to accomplish his will, I can't help but think about my mom. Her, her name was uh, Patty Nichols. She passed away um, about 13 years ago now from cancer. And um, she was an amazing, like wonderful, sweet mom that like loved us very much. She loved me very much. But if you knew her, you would, you would say she was normal. You know, she was just like a normal housewife, normal mom. You know, most of the time she spent her time mothering. Sometimes she would work odd jobs to kind of help ends meet, things like that. But she was just a normal everyday lady, right? But she was amazing, like having a relationship with her. And I, and I, don't, think I, I don't think I fully realized just how much God used her until um, we were at her calling hours. So about 13 years ago, she passed away from a, a long battle with cancer. And I remember, I was, was pretty young, just a young adult at the time, and I remember, you know, standing in front of the casket with my family, kind of how you do, and, and the line <clears throat> of people just like stretches completely out of the area we're in there, and then out into the lobby area, and then outside further. Just this mass of people who came and it started to like hit me how God used her as like person after person after person after person. Just shared like stories with us about how God used her to work in their lives. And it was simple things. It wasn't like these big things, you know. But God used her in amazing ways. And if you knew my mom, she would never, she would never want to be on a stage. That would be like her worst fear is to be in front of people. Um, she was very quiet and shy, very passive. She didn't want to be this like famous leader. And that wasn't her at all. But because her heart was aligned with God's heart, God was able to use her in some amazing ways in the world around her. And we see a similar thing with the Apostle Paul, right? He's, he's under house arrest. And I just, I don't know exactly what it looked like for being under house arrest for Paul, but I just can imagine when I think about it, I think Paul was sitting there and there was a time he went through that he was frustrated. And he's like, God, come on, man. We had this figured out. I have this written down. I was gonna do this. I was gonna get to Rome. This is how I was gonna reach the world for you. And I show up here. Are you just messing with me? I show up here and I'm, and I'm chained. I'm under house arrest. And I just wonder if, as Paul was sitting there and he's thinking about how am I gonna get out of house arrest and like go get the big shots and lead them to Christ, I wonder if he just started looking around at some point and like saw that Roman guard beside him. You know, I wonder if he saw that guy and he's like, you know what, maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's the plan as I reach this guy beside me with the gospel. And then the gospel can move its way up through the kingdom in Rome and out through the rest of the world. 
Guys, I just, I just want to ask you one very simple question. We've talked a lot about, like, God doesn't, God can use you no matter the circumstances, all those things, but let me just ask you a simple question. Do you, like, deep down inside, like, do you believe God can use you? Do you, do you believe that? I think it's easy to, like, say that in our heads and agree with that. Oh, yeah, I know God can use anybody. But, like, based on your past, based on the sins you've committed, based on what other people have done to you, based on how you view yourself, do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that God can take a broken person like me and like you and use you to accomplish his will and reach the people around you? And he can. We see it all over the place. God uses hurting, broken, broken people all the time. And I think a lot of times, you know, when I, when I think of being used by God, I, I think of guys like Billy Graham, <laughs> You know, and God used Billy Graham in amazing ways. He was, he was an evangelist who would speak to millions of people, right? And I think of, I think of Billy Graham, and I'm like, man, we gotta, we gotta stop comparing ourselves to people like that, you know? Because most of the time when God works, it's not through people like Billy Graham, it's through everyday, average, normal people like me, and probably like a lot of us in this room, to reach everyday, average, ordinary people around us. I just got to ask you the question, like, when you think about your life and you think about where you work or where you go to school or where you live or your family, whatever that might be, do you see yourself as like the light in that community? Do you see yourself as the person God can use? What if, let me ask you this. What if, what if God puts you where you are on purpose? I don't know, like, your situation in life. I don't know if you're happy with it. I don't know if you have the job you want. I don't know if you have the family you want. I don't know if you live in the house you want to live in. Do you ever think about that? What if God puts you there? What if God puts you in your neighborhood, in that house, across the street from that family for a reason? Or beside the person you work with every day? Or whatever hobbies you have? What if he gave you those passions for a reason and on purpose and for a purpose? Or what about your friends? Maybe your group of friends. What if you're there for a purpose? What about your family? Does anybody have a crazy family like I do? So my, my family knows they're crazy, but what if, what if you're part of that broken, hurting, crazy family for a reason? And that reason is God has put you there to share the hope of Jesus and love the people around you. So I just encourage you, just take a step towards those people. Whoever God might be putting on your heart right now, just know that God can and will use you to work in that person's life. That's what you're there for. And take a step towards that person, whatever that might be. Maybe you don't have a relationship with them. Maybe it's your neighbor, you don't have a relationship. Maybe you just need to walk across the street and say hi. Maybe you have a relationship with somebody you've known for a long time. And maybe you just need to take the relationship to a deeper level. Maybe it's still kind of stuck on the Cavs, Golden State Warriors conversation. You know, maybe we need to get past that and talk about the important things in life and talk about eternity and maybe even bring up the name of Jesus with that person. It's just a little challenge to you. And just one last thing as we close up, I just wanna say this. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're investigating Jesus and trying to figure out what this thing is called the church and what it means to follow Jesus, there are a ton of people around here who would love to help you figure out what that means. And they would love to help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So I'd say just keep pursuing that. Keep pursuing Jesus. And know this too, just this last thing. Know that no matter what you've done, 
no matter the sins you've committed, no matter the ways you've fallen short, no matter the ways that people have hurt you, like Jesus is ready and willing and excited to fully embrace you and begin a relationship with you. And I think sometimes, like the things we've done, the things that have been done to us can just get in the way. And we think, man, because of these things, Jesus could never accept me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because of those things is why Jesus came and died on a cross and bore our sin and rose from the dead on the third day. That was for us so we could have a relationship with him. So he's ready and willing to accept us as we are. All right, let me pray.